1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I am your host, Marie Mayhew, and I am joined today by a very, very special birthday boy. Join me in wishing a happy birthday to our own Dr. Chris Cogswell.
2: Hey! It's birthday boy! Hey! Hey! It's, birthday boy. <laughs> it's birthday boy! It's birthday boy! It's
1: birthday boy!
2: Hey! I'm gonna milk this <laughs> birthday for everything it's got. I have been every like, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, it's, it's my birthday. I better have a cupcake for breakfast. Of course. <laughs> my lifestyle.
1: And the other voice you hear is our also very special guest. I don't think she is. Although she's probably feeling like she's aged incredibly since having to take on this this assignment of working with us. It is Desi from uh, our lead researcher with Igor. Or do you pronounce it Igor?
0: I don't pronounce it. Oh, <laughs> honestly, probably the first it. time we've ever had to say it. Yeah, it's
1: out loud. So Desi, why don't you tell our, our, our beloved listening audience just a little bit about yourself?
0: Oh, wow. I didn't think about this. Oh, it's okay.
1: I normally, I normally uh, fake something.
2: It's true.
0: Just make something up. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, no, I obviously um, do lots of research for you guys. Um, Which we need and appreciate greatly. And I do a lot of doodling and I cosplay sometimes when I have time. Yep. This is my favorite thing about you is that you do cosplay
1: because you you've posted some pictures on Instagram and on Twitter and like you're literally fashioning and making all of your stuff it seems like from
0: scratch yes I'm currently making a suit of armor sort of (laughs) damn
2: it's so intense like it's so much more intense than any of my like I mean okay podcasting is like a hobby But it's like, Uh but it's like not, I mean, Uh it's a hobby, but like we don't have to, we make stuff, but it's like digital.
0: Right. I have to sit there and sand and (laughs) then paint and then (laughs) sand and then paint. But I could listen to all the podcasts while I do it.
2: There we go. That's, and that's, that's, you
0: know what? That's the (gasps) only thing that's important. Because it takes like zero brain power to just sit there and sand.
1: But your, your stuff is amazing. Like what's been your favorite recent kind of cosplay character
0: well I mean about to
1: divulge I'm working Is there one coming up that's secret
0: no I'm I'm working on um saber from the fate series and that's the armor that I'm making so it's probably the most work that I've put into one but um I had a lot of fun with my last bigger project where I got to make a wizard hat or a witch's hat mm, that's
2: cool that's
0: so cool that's so. so cool. That is so cool. I'm so jealous because
1: that is a craft. Like that's a skill and a craft. I've, you know, if I get like the cookie dough, it is already made into like little lumps of cookie dough. But all you have to do is unwrap and literally put in the oven. I'm all woo! I'm Martha Stewart. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's
0: all I got. I, I don't cook either. It's okay. <laughs>
1: Oh, still, because you're busy doing all this awesome cosplay stuff. I'm I'm jealous and so I we want to see pictures. And also please tell the people where they can find all of your wonderful designs which are awesome and you need to get t-shirts and other things immediately people right after listening to
2: this. Yes. Podcast.
0: So all of my things are available either on Redbubble or designed by humans under the name Desdemona with a Y. So it's D-E-S-D-Y-M-O-N-A. Um, and it, everywhere else, I'm either Desdemona or Sprinkleface. That is true. That is true.
2: It's very, it's very hard to keep tags on her because, like, too many names, too many Eliases. What are you hiding? And she's incognito all the time. Very, it's, oh, God, well, so mysterious. <laughs> Mister. Clearly hiding something terrible mm, from the world. Just mm. hiding from my students in my day job. Yeah, that's okay. I understand. <laughs> I know that game. Good stuff. All right. Well, this episode, Marie, we're talking about the color blue. The color blue. Probably like my third favorite color. Which is awesome, you know.
1: Your third favorite? You're like, this is my 27th favorite. It's all right. Okay, I'm a fan. Listen, I'm a
2: fan of a lot of colors. I gotta say, color of my favorite Pokemon, Vaporeon. It is. uh, It's a good color. Blue is a good color. Now, the reason that we're doing this episode is because we Dez actually suggested to us this topic because there had been some stuff going around on the internet where. People were claiming that there was no evidence for the color blue existing, basically before the Middle Ages. And it kind of comes from like that stupid dress that everyone remembers. You know what dress I'm talking about? Yeah, the one that was supposed to be blue and gold, or like white and gold, or something like that. Whatever. (gasps) And so, yeah. So, and it's it's a really interesting concept. Is it blue? Is it gold? Is it blue? Is it gold? It's it's a whole big thing and it's a really interesting concept because this suggests something really I think it's fascinating because it gets into something deeper than just the color itself but more about cognition and, and how do we even communicate cognition to each other and do we do we ever really communicate cognition in that way so that's what this episode's about and I'm excited to get into it absolutely. Welcome
1: to the Mad Scientist Podcast. Today's episode: The Color Blue. Fashionable. Oh, the Doggle. Excellent. Okay, so before we get into arguing if the if the dress was truly blue or gold or the abstracts behind <laughs> color, um, and sort of what are the social constructs around color, how do your eyes actually see color? So a little bit of the science background is among vertebrates, which humans and apes are amongst one of them, one classification of them. I mean. We've got so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's a result of having specialized light receptors. So these structures in your eye is known as rods and cones in the back of your eye in the retina. And so rods are extremely sensitive to even the most dim of light but provide very coarse, uh, fuzzy, colorless images, right? Mm -hmm. The cones provide the sharpest images and are responsible for the ability to see color, but they only function effectively when the light is bright, right? So as a consequence, uh, all vertebrates, such as ourselves and apes, are more or less blind to color in the dark of the night, Right. So, if you go outside and you're trying to find your car after drinking in a club and it's like 4 a.m., you're going to have a harder time finding it. Not just because you've had 14 jello shots, but because your eyes are not wired to actually see color when it is dark out. Yes. You like how that's going? You like how I had to work that in? It's um, <laughs> so so a very
2: specific scenario. <laughs> jello shots, huh, Marie?
1: Uh, well, you know, interesting because the thing being, too, is if you are colorblind, you cannot tell the difference between cherry jello shots and lime green jello shots. That's very true. So just let that just let that uh, cultivate in the old noggin for a little That's bit. Very true. Yes. OK. So different types of cones are tuned to different portions of the narrow vision of the spectrum in the el- electromagnetic radiation. Right. So near the surface of the cones in your eyes are very sensitive Proteins called protein pigments called op-sums?
0: Opsins. Opsins.
1: This is opsins. probably Opsins. You probably know all of this. I, Chris. Not
2: really. Not enough mm. to say Opsins. Oh, really?
1: Opsins. Okay. So
0: Oopsins. Oopsins. <laughs>
1: oopsins. <laughs> opsins. Opsins are different cones. They're sensitive to different wavelengths of lights. And so colors are identified by the brain based on these responses from these opsins. So a wavelength comes in. These opsins translate it into your brain.
2: Tracking so far? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sounding great.
1: Yes. So humans, vertebrates, are basically trichromatic. So we have three colors that we can definitely see the difference between and three different kinds of opsins on our cones, which allow us to discriminate between blue, green, and red. Mm -hmm. So those are the big ones. And some people think that this comes about through the necessity to be able to identify ripe food or berries or be able to use the colors to um, hunt and gather. Sure. Within vertebrates.
2: Sure, sure. Now, what's really really interesting with these... So just because you can just because physically you have the ability to uh, take in the information of a color doesn't actually mean that you can sense a color or even so this gets into kind of really interesting philosophical territory of what does it mean to is gathering information enough or like what does it mean to know something? What does it mean to? Um, recognize something and be able to use that information in a way that we would consider knowing it, right? So you might be able to, you know, you might be able to physically sense the color red, but if your brain doesn't have a a place where colors are processed, just because you can physically take in the color red doesn't mean that your mind can actually um, deal with that color, right? And In the same way, um, just because you Just because you can hear music doesn't mean that you are a musician or you can compose it in in a way, right? You don't really know music. You might hear music, but you don't necessarily know um, musical theory or whatever. But on top of that, too, there is a difference philosophically between experiencing something and um, or physically experiencing something and then cognating it or, or thinking it or um So I guess I guess that realizing. Yeah. So I guess the best example of this is. Again, just because you see like there might be something in front of you that has no meaning to you. Right. You can have a word in front of you that means something in someone else's language. And just but just because you're seeing those letters written doesn't mean that you're actually understanding the word. Right. And that's kind of analogous to. What might occur if you say could not perceive color, you might be able to see something that is green or blue or whatever, but you won't be able to recognize that as a color or as a differentiating factor, you know, as like another piece of information on top of this other thing. Now the question of if colors exist or not is a really interesting philosophical question, actually. The, but that's, that's something we're going to get into more later, but Basically, what we're trying to lay the groundwork here for is this idea that just seeing a color, physically being able to mechanically see a color, isn't really what we're talking about here when we say that blue doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something different. It's like, it's like Jello shots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so you see a perhaps a green or a red Jello shot, and you might think, okay, my Vertebrate mind thinks that that's edible. It's a berry and it's good for me. But you are processing it. You, there's no one way of processing that information.
0: Hmm.
1: Right? Because red or green or blue is the color of a lot of different things. Red's the color of a stop sign. Red's the color of of, of a jello shot. So it's contextually how are you able to identify that that's the, that color is contextually tied to the symbol that it represents and there's a lot of different symbols and symbols mean
2: different things throughout different cultures right right and so this concept of this concept of color as a so for example right we all think that the sky we we obviously the sky has existed since the beginning of time or beginning of time since the beginning of earth since the beginning of the planet since the beginning of humans the sky has existed in pretty much the same way, right? I think we can all agree on that. Yes, okay. Check. that means that, the, that means that the sky has been blue this whole time.
0: on good days uh, yes. yes. yeah
2: I'll
1: mean, buy in yes, yeah.
2: we're going to buy in. we're going to say, yeah, the color blue has always been that color this whole time. Now, the challenge though is that without other things to comp so there's there's two ways to look at this thing, this idea of color the color blue debate basically is coming about because it seems like the color blue, the word for blue doesn't exist in cultures until a long time after they form. Right. So mm-hmm. the, so a good example of this that's given is the Greeks right now, supposedly in this book by uh, Jules Davidoff, um, or not Jules Davidoff. This is a different book. Um, in this basically there's this, there was this book that was formed or this book that was written about, um, the color blue. Right. And seemingly that, uh, the color blue didn't exist in literature, um, for quite some time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they said, for instance, that, um, in Homer's odyssey, he describes the, the ocean as wine dark. Right. And he describes these Mm -hmm. other things in kind of these weird ways. Like, you know, he, um, just doesn't seem to mesh with the way that we think of things now. So for instance, this is a quote from the sun. The, uh, this is from the third book of the odyssey where Homer talks about the ascent of the sun God Helios. He says, and now the sun leaving the beauteous water surface sprang up into the brazen heaven to give light to the immortals and the mortal men on the earth. He doesn't mention the color blue, the blue sky of the Greek, islands, right? Which we think of as being so stunningly, obviously blue mm-hmm. that for us calling it blue is like a second thing, right? It's second nature almost. Right. Yeah. And he also doesn't its easily associated, Right. And he also doesn't describe the sea in that way. He, this is another quote from the Odyssey. He says, quote, him I saved when he was bestriding the keel and all alone for Zeus had struck his swift ship with his bright thunderbolt and had shattered it in the midst of the wine, dark sea. Again, no mention of the color blue. Mm. Mm -mm. That seemed weird to these guys, and so they looked through Greek literature and found that actually there really was no mention of the color blue anywhere.
1: Well, and the Greek word, so the Greeks did have words that could mean dark blue, but they also represented other colors. So their word for dark blue, kyanos, kyanos, could also mean dark green, violet, black, or brown, which is kind of a pretty big swath of the spectrum, cues, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and their word for light blue glaucos could also be light green, gray or yellow. So kind of a, a fairly, again, that, that, that doesn't really mean it doesn't really mean or is evocative of a, of the Mediterranean water or of the sky. In fact, it could be, for other colors just as easily.
2: Yeah. Now this, this really started with the book uh, studies on Homer and the Homeric age by William Ewart Gladstone. And that book came out in 1858. And uh, it's not really a super well-known book, except for this, except for this chapter, this area where they talk about the problem of color in Homer's odyssey. Right. And the problem of color in the ancient Greek, uh, you know, writing now mm-hmm. we're going to, there is an interesting, there's an interesting answer to this that actually I haven't even shared with you or or Des yet for this episode. So I'm hoping bum, bum, I'm hoping bum. that it'll just be like a, you know I'll flip the table over thing at the end here. But there have been mm, a couple mm, of then we'll all have Jello shots. I'm telling you, it's gonna be great, <laughs> blue ones. And so this running theme, people. And, and so this this led to a bunch of you know when this con- so this controversy kind of comes about pretty regularly, almost kind of. And so when it came about more recently, it was in a in a it was in an article in. Uh, Business Insider, right? And it was it was titled "No One Could Describe the Color Blue Until Modern Times" by Kevin Loria. It was published in 2015. Now, that's again, it, it's it's saying that they could not describe the color blue, but we but they they saw blue, right? Right. They must have. They must have seen the color blue. So then, what are they talking about here? They culturally
1: could not describe the color blue or draw the difference between blue and other colors until. They were able to replicate it in studies or from nature in studies.
2: OK, so that's one that's one possibility, right? That they did not. They, they so let me rephrase the argument a little bit. The argument here would be that mm-hmm. the Greeks had so few reasons to describe the color blue that they just didn't.
0: They used other colors. Right. It's just like not worth noticing. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of
1: blue out there. You'd kind of
0: you would think so. No, I, don't know. I feel that, like you would.
1: You'd think that they'd
2: you know come up with something. You'd think so, but that is actually one argument that's made about this, right? That um that the color blue is sort of this like it was such a you know because really in nature besides the sea and the sky, right? What other blues are there?
1: Mm, well, you don't see it in food.
0: There's flowers, maybe. And a lot of the flowers are light blues that are kind of closer to maybe greens um, or darker blues, which are closer to purples. Yeah, I would say that violet is is definitely
2: out there. And even violet's a hard one to find kind of in nature. Mm -hmm. But you think like red, like red is only in blood. Right. Really, as far as I can tell, in terms of like natural coloration, red for blood and then maybe rocks. Right.
1: Clay. Clay. Right. You could have some soil that's. Close in and but blue, yeah.
2: but blue was a pretty hard pigment, pigment to make, right? The only people that really had blue were the Egyptians,
1: mm, yes. right? So that's one. Ar- Which I think are still before the Middle Ages,
2: absolutely, absolutely. But so one <laughs> a argument, little would be, well, a little bit, oh, a little oh, bit, a little bit before Marie. Skosh. <laughs> so one argument would be that they culturally didn't have a need to describe blue, so they just didn't, right? And actually, that's a that's espoused pretty. That's that's kind of, I think, the position almost taken by most classical uh, experts, as far as I could tell, in reading. I don't know if you guys had the same experience. Pretty much. Where they argued that, like, to the Greeks, color wasn't about the hue. It was about the darkness or lightness of the color. Mm-hmm. Right? And so to the Greeks, saying that something was... So, this kind of gets into my table-flipping moment almost, but...
1: Oh, God. All right. Brace for it, people. So,
2: okay. So...
1: Is it going to be, it's going to be a reference to It's Always Sunny? It's, right? It won't be, I promise. Not this time. Oh, come on, man. Um,
0: so the... I sleep at the wheel with those. I'm telling you. I so thought we were making Arrested Development references this time. Oh, right, because we blew ourselves. <laughs> That's right. Like Tobias, Dr. Fionke. Oh, um,
2: okay. Okay. The, <laughs> and we're off. We're killing it right now. Man. We're killing it. The, so this argument would be that the color blue... So we have this argument that it's it's a cultural thing. We also have another argument that's a that's kind of silly, which is that we we literally physically did not see the color blue like we were colorblind. There's straight up no evidence for any of that <laughs>
1: ridiculousness. <laughs> well, and science-wise, it's disproven. You have a certain amount of rods and cones that are in that are you have them. Yeah. So you do see yeah. it.
2: Now, a mixture of these two ideas, though, is that Human, your brain, the way that you actually perceive colors or or categorize them in some ways is described by the way that you you learn as a child, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of the same argument that goes into like nature versus nurture kind of stuff, right? Where if you had a kid, if you if you had a, a if you had a child who lived in the jungle, their entire, you know, with no human contact, they just lived like a wild existence, um, you know, almost like raised by wolves, Right. Would you be able to teach them language if you got them after the age of five? Mm -hmm. Right. Or the age of 10 or the age of 15 or right. Like, where is the cutoff between um, being able to learn language versus not being able to? Right. And then on top of that, the question of is the way that we learn are the things that are available to us from a young age that we get used to? do those in some way shape the way that our brain perceives the world around us so is it is it the world itself that changes the way that we think so is our our cognitive framework developed by the world around us or do we build the world around us a, in a way that matches our cognitive framework right and so this argument part of this argument would be if you grew up without the notion that the color blue was a concept you might have a much harder time differentiating the color blue from greens and reds and yellows than someone who grew up with the color blue.
0: Okay.
2: And in some ways that's actually, in some ways that's actually borne out by the, by the, by the research, by the evidence. Right. So they did studies with, uh, they did studies in uh, Namibia, where right? The Himba tribe. Mm-hmm. This was done by Jules Davidoff a psychologist from Goldsmiths University of London. And so this, this culture, this, this tribe doesn't have a, does not have a word for blue and they don't make a distinction between green and blue. Right. Mm. And so mm. this test basically was, you have a, a big, you know, you have a bunch of green tiles, and then you have a blue tile in the center of them and trying to tell, trying to ask them, well, which tile is a different color here? Right. And, they were not able to tell the difference. They could not get the blue tile from the green tile, hmm. suggesting that our color perception is linked to what we're taught and linked to our language and linked to our literally linked to how we're taught cognition. Right. Mm-hmm. And they've had they've had other studies like this, too. So there's an MIT study in 2007 that showed that uh, native Russian speakers. So there is no. There is no word for blue in Russian. There's a word for light blue and a word for dark blue. And what they found was that actually, these uh, native Russians are have a much easier time distinguishing between light blue and dark blue than English speakers are. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. If you don't have a word for the color blue, you might not see the color blue as easily. Right. And so you won't have the color blue. You won't have the word for the color blue. Right. And at the same time that even if you did notice it, even if if you had a functionally, you were able to sh- to see the color blue, you might not make a distinction between blue and black, let's say, or blue and purple or blue and dark or something. Hmm. If you d- if your brain wasn't trained to pick out that color.
1: Hmm. If it couldn't contextualize why picking out that color was important. Exactly. To draw a distinction from everything. Exactly. else. Exactly.
2: It goes back to that initial thing that you said, Marie, which is people, you know, one of the ideas of why we developed the ability to see color is because it helped us be better hunter gatherers, mm-hmm. right? Helped us survive better. We could, um, if a plant was a bright color, we would know not to eat it because it was poisonous. Right. Um, or whatever Mm-hmm. it's, Again, though, your brain is constantly like the things you see. Your brain is constantly filtering filtering out bad information or extraneous information, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same reason that that stupid dress seems to be two different colors to different people, right? It's because your brain.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the dress. It's basically yes. an optical
2: illusion, right? Your brain is kind of forgetting, or not forgetting. Your brain is just ignoring the color blue because you've never trained your brain to see it.
1: Or you have already made up your mind what color of a dress is going to be before you even see it. Maybe. Based on what you've read. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're, self, you're self-editing. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's, but it's so crazy because like going back to the Greeks, basically they're surrounded by the Mediterranean, which is blue. They're surrounded by sky, which is blue. But they have no word for blue. Well see. So it's like, is there almost is it almost like an is it almost just too much blue? And so it is it just becomes either sea and sky and there it is agnostic about color. Okay. Which could be. Marie, ready for me to Homer Homer was the other one that came up with rosy fingered dawn, right? Which is what I remember from from all my early Greek texts from like a long time ago in college, which speaks to like rosy finger so it's red in the sunrise, but no no language around other around blue. But you're about ready to flip the table. So hold on. Hold on. Flip it. I'm I'm bracing. Okay. All right.
2: So this is from this is from um this is from of Philosophers in the color blue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um this is chapter one of a of a book that I found online. Mm-hmm. And so um here is the quote that I'm gonna say here. Okay. Quote Careful linguistic study has resolved this riddle by revealing that to ancient Greeks, including Aristotle, luminosity was more important than hue in characterizing color.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: For example, the Greek word melos and leukos can be translated not only as black and white, but also as dark and light. The use of the color term cyanos is equally ambiguous. It is usually translated as blue and gave rise to our modern color term cyan. Mm -hmm. cyanos referred to a dark color in general and was used to describe emeralds but it could also manifest itself as a blue and could even mean black the difference between black and blue then was not so crucial to the greeks it was much more important to them that blue bordered on black or dark and that both of them constituted the dark end of a scale of colors if we keep this meaning of the word cyanos in mind then much that is found in greek literature becomes clear in a book on precious stones aristotle's pupil theophrastus describes the blue lapis lazuli as chianos-colored. Homer's Iliad, on the other hand, could describe not only the color of steel, but also the probably black hair of King Priam's son Hector as kianos. A cloak could also be kianos colored a dark-hued veil, than which was no raiment more black, end quote.
0: So
2: mm-hmm. the issue isn't that they didn't see black is that they didn't describe it. They just didn't care about the word for blue or they had no particular need for this stuff. And actually, this comes back to Aristotle's theory of colors, right? So um, on Aristotle's on the senses, he describes a number of colors and he, he breaks them up into um, basically he breaks them up into the dark end or the or the light end, Right. And so the color scale went from white, yellow, red, purple, green, blue, and black. And he actually does specifically describe blue. (laughs) Okay. Now, um, this is a quote from On The Senses. Quote, One possibility is that white and black particles alternate in such a way that while each by itself is invisible because of its smallness, the compound of the two is visible. This cannot appear either as white or as black, but since it must have some color and cannot have either of these, It must evidently be some kind of mixture, i.e. some other kind of color. It is thus possible to believe that there are more colors than just white and black and that their number is due to the proportion of their components. And so what he basically did was he said, "Okay, well, we're going to call white is pure white particles and then yellow would be a lot of white and a little bit of black. Red would be, um, you know, slightly more black, but still mostly white. Purple would be the equal mixing of the two. And then the other way, right? Mm -hmm. And so Aristotle had, um, Aristotle had actually a color wheel that included blue, it included violet, included green, red, yellow. And uh, actually uh, Theophrastus specifically goes into this a little bit more when he talks about the, he specifically discusses the color of the sky and the color of the ocean and how the reason that the, uh, the sky itself appears to be blue, just like the ocean, it's because water and air are mixed together in some way in the sky, right? So it's it's actually interesting it's actually, and pretty close. It's actually really <laughs> yeah. interesting, right? And, and so what I found to be most fascinating about these theories that the color blue didn't exist was just like the absolute lack of reading, like the absolute lack of reading that was done. Because like Aristotle is like one of three Greeks everyone has fucking heard about. You know what I mean? Like, how did you miss Aristotle when you were looking for colors? He literally has a book called On the Senses where he describes the rainbow and the color wheel, and he talks about blue and purple and green. Like, it's fascinating to me. Like, it's just a swing and a miss. Hard swing and a miss. Bad work, Business Insider. Bad work. Not
1: great. Well, maybe business insight. I mean, i if I if again, logic dictates, if it's called business insider, they're probably not going to be too sharp on the whole color thing. Not right? science
0: insider. Yeah. Not, on. not, not nature. Well, and they're not science. alone. There's so many of these articles out there.
2: Oh my goodness. There's a huge number of them right now. The, the thing that I actually think the part of this that I think is actually relevant and really interesting still, regardless of the fact that yes, they had blue, you know, we've had blue forever is the idea of like the cultural stuff that we were getting into, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because Marie, you brought up a great point, which was, you know, blue wasn't very common, right? No. And so like, where did we find blue in the ancient world? Really? I mean, of course, the sea and the sky. But think about it, like if you were living in England during the Middle Ages, you know, you might not ever see the ocean, right? (laughs) Right. And even if you did, it would appear to be, it would appear to be dark. It would not appear to be blue. It's not like a Caribbean blue, right? It's a,
1: it would be very rare to see the color blue, especially, especially in the, in the Middle Ages. And if something is rare or scarce, it is by nature. Again, if you're talking, you know, if we, if we go with Business Insider, um, if it's rare and scarce, it's more valuable. So within the Middle Ages, the color blue is now used more to denote um, wealth and nobility. Sure. Right. So and they've, I, it looks like they were able to cultivate, I believe, um, in France, England, and Germany— um, a flower called okay. the woad flower, hmm. um, which is, yeah, a flowering plant native to the Mediterranean. So they were able to use this, di- this woad, um, this flowering plant to create dyes, but again, very, in very scarce, very scarce production. Um, and so they were able to, so the Kings at this time wore blue. All the way into the 15th century where you see Charlemagne uh, and Louis 14, um, you know, with, you know, uh, blue, blue silk cushions, blue robes, um, blue and gold together, signifying wealth and power and prestige. So, so it's, it's li- sort of like.
2: Mm-hmm. It's literally it's I mean, it's literally because it's impossible to get. Yes. Right? Like, it requires a huge amount of this this uh, plant to create the color blue.
1: Yeah. Right? And the idea, too, but it's, there's a scarcity of it in everywhere around you, right? Because, again, like, if food is blue, you're not going to eat it because it is bad. Right? <laughs> or it's if, raspberry.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah. Or it's blue raspberry. Raspberry, greatest invention of modern awesome! man.
1: Yes. Blue raspberry. Agreed. See, science can stop there. With 7-Eleven's blue raspberry. Um, but yeah, like, th- so if it's food, it's not going to be good. If it's, if it's a flower, it's perishable. If it's a gem, it's even more rare and more valuable. Um, and again, like the water, the sky, there's not a lot of ways to get to or make blue. So it becomes the symbol of, of, of rarity, of refinement, and ergo power within, within the Middle Ages and going forward kind of see a little bit of a change, you know, moving into the Renaissance when again, you're, you're able to have more access, um, having more access to pigments, but blue becomes moves from sort of a social status of power and nobility almost to the ethereal or the, uh, the Virgin Mary is often seen dressed in blue. So again, it's representing purity or, um, uh, humility the divine is now blue which is again more of an association of the vast sky and sort of this this larger than human um
2: color you know what actually it strikes me really oddly is can you imma- like can you imagine we we often see this with there's uh, this is kind of an interesting like almost not really an optical illusion but this idea of of a new color or a color you've never seen before mm-hmm. right and there actually is a test that you can do like. It's something like if you there's an optical illusion that you can do, it's on the Internet. That's where I saw it. I, I can't remember the exact name of it at the moment, but it's basically if you're if you if you close your eye and you look at like a red, um, like a very, very bright red square, you just stare at it and you close that eye and you look at a very, very dark blue square and then you open up both of your eyes and try to focus at like a center point between the two The colors will merge and it will actually create a new color that you've never perceived before. What? And the reason that it happens is something like your eye, your eye isn't, your eye can't, your eyes can't get that color, that hue on its own. Like if it was just on a piece of paper or something, but your brain will mix them together to make something new. It's, it's some, I don't even know if it's true or not, but. The thing, so I'm just spewing bullshit, Truth. dear listeners. But the thing, the thing that I find fascinating, though, I mean, imagine, imagine you're Sorry. a, imagine you're a peasant in, you know, I don't know, 14th century England, and the king comes and he's wearing a deep blue robe. That is a color you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Really, right? Like, even if you've seen light blue because of the sky. You might not have ever seen like a deep Navy blue or Royal blue. That to me is, I mean that, that in itself was probably a, like an ethereal experience of just being like, I don't know, having something so completely new, right. In in your, in your vision, a a sense that we take for granted,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Agreed. I find it fascinating. I mean, it's
2: amazing. It's so, it's so weird.
1: And, even more recently, though, Yves Klein, yeah. the artist, the French artist, which has, like, he actually, so French artist, painter, um, worked and perfected what he considered and what I would say modern art historians to this day would consider the purest blue of all, which is called Klein blue. And it's this, it's almost... Painful to look at because it is this deep ultramarine and it is it is it literally makes the back of your teeth hurt and your eyeballs shake if you look at it too long. It's so it's such an intense color, even like so he did this between like uh, 1947 and 1957. So for a decade, this, you know, this French artist worked on perfecting this the color blue and he would just do huge wide swaths of it on camp on canvas and even now like if you see it and if you see it replicated cuz of course it is now trademarked and it's you know it's probably a a pantone color if you see it it is so visually different than other blue but it's it is almost physically jarring yeah and it's very cool but it's like i don't know if you'd want a suit made out of that <laughs>
2: It's a, it is it's really weird, you know, and it's such a again, it's such a strange concept of yeah. I don't know. It's such a weird thing. It's yeah. such a weird thing.
1: Klein Yeah, Klein himself even said his blue was extra-dimensional and that it would like if you looked at it long enough, it would take you outside of your body and outside of the canvas. So it was almost like a meditative an extreme meditative state that this color could actually drive you to which you know for colors is really you know something you don't think about necessarily but is still really fascinating well
2: you know it, it reminds me of have you guys heard of Vanta Black yet or Vanta Black no okay so Vanta Black is a it's a trademarked material it is uh, owned by Surrey NanoSystems Limited And basically what it is, is it's, uh, it is the darkest material ever created. And I mean that, I mean that literally it, it absorbs something like, um, it absorbs something like 99.97% of visible radiation Hmm. and it's extremely toxic, but (laughs) (laughs) so you couldn't
1: use it as blackout. No, it's super, it's super,
2: super, super, uh, What's it? It's it's pretty pretty dangerous. So what it is, Vanta stands for. So first off, let's get a little bit into how color is perceived, I guess. Or like we got into it a bit, we got it, we got into it pretty well in the beginning. Um, thanks to Marie's hard uh hard detective work. But <laughs> um
1: talking about eyeballs, talking about eyeballs
2: again. Take that. Yeah. Talking
1: but, <laughs> about <the> eyeballs. <laughs> but sorry, dear list dear squeamish listeners yeah. out there, of which we have a few.
2: So the way the way that a material has a color is it's interesting because again, this is a bigger philosophical question. So um, there's actually kind of an interesting quote that I wanted to read. That was, uh, this is from Galileo, right? So he, he writes in uh, Il Sagittore or the Asseo, the uh, assayer. he says, quote, colors hold their resistance solely in the sensitive body. So that if the animal were removed, every such quality would be abolished and annihilated. So, in other words, Galileo believed that color was not a physical quality. It was purely a conscious quality of humans. So we gave things color. Things did not have color on their own. hmm. Right. So it's kind of that question of so Galileo, in other words, was not a was it was a color uh, functionalist, I guess, as opposed to a color realist. Right. So the color realist believed that objects had color regardless of humans perceiving that color. Mm-hmm. Right, so what is what is red? Red is literally a physical uh, quality of an object, as opposed to being something that we perceive. But uh, the non-realists, the functionalists, would say that color actually only really has meaning in the way that we perceive it. But again, because we we very we we so often don't talk about the way that we actually cognate, or you know, we don't often talk about the way that we actually think about the world mechanically it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what is red versus maroon versus purple versus blue. Right. Um, and, a, and a good example of this is um, when you think, when you have a thought, Marie or, or desk, let's, let's ask desk. She didn't say anything yet. Let's ask desk Des, When you think of something, do you see it in your, when you have an idea, right? Like I, Oh, I need to get, I need to get, orange juice right or i want orange juice mechanically what does that look like in your head would describe that process to us
0: interesting um it's, for me it's probably a list <laughs> like i see it like i see the word okay 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 no, no no so that's good which
2: is good so you so you see you see the word i need orange juice you see that word or like it's, yeah like just orange juice <laughs> okay marie how about you?
1: Well. I would then say, but you're going to put together, like in your cosplay.
0: Then I see, like the the amethyst. Product. Yes. Do you
1: see? So when you're like, okay, I have to do amethyst. What's like? Do you see the color then?
0: Oh, absolutely. Whenever I, probably even more when I'm creating anything, like when I'm drawing something or something like creating cosplay. Like I can have mm-hmm. a pile of random crap and i can see the finished product in my head okay and the color right the color the everything how it all meshes together see now on the other hand which is
1: sort of both right because she's seeing it as she's seeing orange juice as literally (laughs)
0: like lists because i make lots of lists (laughs)
2: right
1: Right, which is very which
2: is very
0: linear so you're kind of yeah
2: now on, on the other hand i hear that in my head really I I I actually have a really hard time like pinning down images in my head. I have a really hard time doing that, but I can hear things like I hear things it, when I have a thought. It's my own voice saying that thought to me. Hmm. I don't get like, a, like an image. I don't get a vision or anything like that. It's my own. It's unless it's something I'm specifically trying to remember the look of or something like that. And even then I have a hard time with that. It is always a it is always a word or a a saying or a sound or something.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. See? Interesting. And we It's all contextual. Well, so in here kind of also based on how your neurology is uh scrambled up in your mind. Absolutely.
2: Noggin. But that's the thing, we don't ever talk about that kind of stuff to other people. So like you you know, it was one of the weirdest things for me was reading the reading like existential philosophy as a freshman in, in college and thinking how we were talking about how, you know, people were reading these books and being like, I just don't understand what they're saying. Cause like, I don't think that way. And I was like, I think that way that's exactly how I think. Right. And getting into the sense of like, you know, how does someone else's brain actually operate? That's a really interesting question. But anyways, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment Ask, ask the bartender next time you're at a bar and really freak him or her out and then get kicked out of the bar. It's a great time after
1: you've had a couple of jello shots, but absolutely. So a, a a quick way to short circuit that though is with idioms, right? So even in, and this again, changes, changes culturally, right? So culturally you'll have different ways of describing things um, using color versus other cultures, but Western idioms, based on color, based on the color blue, if I was to tell you that somebody is true blue, you would know what that means. Yeah. Hypothetically, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Some of them are a little dated. I mean, true blue, Madonna, Madonna album, excellent. Um, But you would also know that that is somebody who's very loyal or very faithful.
2: Sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Or, Or another one, a blue blood. What's a blue blood?
2: Someone who's rich. What's a blue man? A blue man? <laughs> blue man troop. That's why I Arrested Development, once again, your listeners. Yeah, no, no, yeah. totally. That's oh, true. Again, yeah, we we kind of we we ascribe to colors like specific, like green with envy, right? Green we with give envy. These colors, these I, these things.
1: The blues. Yeah. Not just the music, but also but also to feel unhappy or the sad. Sadness. Interesting. Blue. So I would say the blues and another very famous blue object, denim or blue jeans are uniquely American constructs. The blues. Oh yeah. Yeah. Came out of, you know, came out of, uh, came out of America and so did, so did denim. Well, denim was made in France, but the idea of the popularity of the, of, Jeans, what? Is doing? there anything
2: more American than taking someone out what someone else made and saying we made it?
0: <laughs> I don't think there is. Making no, it like the symbol that of is our exactly our <laughs> That dogs, is exactly American. burgers, hot dogs, apple pie,
2: denim blue jeans. blue jeans.
1: Blue jeans. But again, American constructs. Like when you say the blues or when you say blue jeans and you say where are those things from, Yeah, totally. it's uniquely American. Yeah, you know, Katie had, for better or for worse. Katie
2: had a boss who was from... A different, another country, and he didn't get idioms, mm-hmm. and so he would say things like "Don't put all of your eggs in one carton," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when when the cat's away, the mice will dance. What that makes so sense?
1: That was another Still? one,
2: which is cute. That's a much cuter one than the mice will play.
1: That's cute. Yeah. Um, that is cute.
2: Okay, so so okay, so we kind of we kind of got into like a deep dark consciousness hole, which is good. The kind of the best hole to get into, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But um, but <laughs> that was out of the blue. Chris. That was out of the blue. That was strange. Um, but okay. So the way that you actually perceive color physically, at least, would be uh, through the rods and the cones. But the way that a material itself has color is interesting in the sense that it's actually the color that you see is the is the color that the material does not absorb. Okay. So when a, chemical, when a chemical bond of some sort gets hit with a photon, it will absorb some of that radiation. And the absorbance of that radiation is determined by basically the, uh, the energy level of the uh, electrons in the orbitals that are bonding the two things together. And actually that's really useful in chemistry because it means that we can shoot light at chemicals and be able to get a kind of sense of what sort of bonds are there. So a carbon carbon bond always absorbs the same around the same type of radiation no matter what molecule it's in. Right? So you can this is the basis of things like infrared spectroscopy. Or really any spectro uh spec any spectroscopic tool is based on this idea. Now in terms of physical color that we observe This means that when you see a red object, what's actually happening is light is coming uh, through the atmosphere. It hits the surface of the object. And then the only wavelength of light that isn't being absorbed by the object is the red uh, wavelength that then you're seeing and picking up with your eyes. Does that make sense? So, yes, light, light beams come down. They get absorbed by a surface Mm -hmm. And then mm-hmm. some of those beams they'll get reflected back, and that's what's being picked up by your eyes.
1: That's what you're seeing. Okay. Yes, with the rods and the cones. Yes.
2: Now, what that means though is that materials that appear to be black or appear to have no um, no color are actually um, actually absorbing a lot of light, and that's why black objects tend to get hotter in the sun
1: mm-hmm.
2: than white objects because they're actually taking in more radiation. Now. This material, Vanta Black or Vanta Black, I guess, um, it stands for Vertically Aligned Nanotube Arrays. And so, basically, what a nanotube is is a uh, it's a carbon structure made up of carbon carbon bonds in a big tube. And you can vertically align them onto a surface by there's different ways, but like you can basically seed the surface and then have them grow in a chemical solution or vapor deposition or whatever doesn't really matter how it's grown, but the fact that these carbon tubes are aligned um, next to each other in this way means that when light hits that surface, it really cannot escape. So this is ninety nine point nine seven percent of all radiation in the visible spectrum is being taken in by this material and then not released. So this is to date the darkest material out there. And if you see it, it looks very strange. Like it looks it looks weird. Um, so it's V-A-N-T-A black, um, Vanta black, and chemistry actually has a lot of, a lot of interesting stories where we create new colors or we create new hues or dyes or whatever. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's extremely interesting in my mind. Yeah. So yeah,
1: it is, yeah. it is, but don't eat it. First of all, don't eat it. Don't touch the it. The reason
2: why it's so dangerous, don't the reason it. that it's so dangerous. Why
1: is, it, why is it dangerous? It sounds so nice. So,
2: the reason that it's so dangerous is that it's um. so these carbon nanotubes are really small. And so, that means that if they get into the body, they can be really irritating, right? So, think about asbestos. Like, uh, honestly, oh, I'm saying it's dangerous. With half
1: the stuff you work with, half the, no, the majority of stuff you work with kills you. It
2: does. It just kills you. Well, the thing you. is, like, with these new.
1: What are you. Doing man, know. why couldn't you have just been a marketing? Manager? I don't know. I'm sure like my problem that.
2: is. I don't know. What my damn problem is. I'll tell man. you
1: what, you, you with the with the with the with the nanoparticle death wish.
2: <laughs> the nanoparticle death wish. <gasps>
1: oh my god, that's the best speed metal band ever.
2: <laughs> nanoparticle death wish. Oh my god, good one. I'm telling you, I might break out uh, the theremin. The so. Yes. Uh, the reason that it's dangerous uh, with all these like nanomaterials like this, we actually have no idea if they're dangerous or not, but um, like, but they could be. And that's why we treat them as being dangerous. But this one in particular, anything with nanotubes and stuff, it's like a lot of the reason why breathing in like particulate and soot and stuff is bad for you is because it basically like creates tiny scars on your lungs or it can, you know, it can like get in and just like mess with your. System literally by leaving physical marks and bruises and scratches and whatever. And so this stuff is like asbestos times a million. You know what I mean? It's really, really small, really, really hard, really sharp. um, So it's really bad for you.
1: That would be the, uh, that, never mind. I was going to make another joke about another good band name. (laughs) God damn
2: it. So, God
1: damn it. So basically,
2: though, there is no reason to think that the color blue didn't exist before the Middle Ages.
1: No, and you know what else in the reading, which I thought was interesting,
2: the color of Krishna. I was going to bring that up actually. That this, you know, it's again, it's a really interesting thing. I think it says more about our, um, but see, but I couldn't find how early back do we have depictions of Krishna as being or Vishnu as being blue. Always blue, I think.
1: Well, not I, you know, I don't know that for sure. But the majority of the representation has been.
2: Almost an Eve climb blue. I mean, it's 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 like interesting. It's interesting to me. Again, this idea that blue didn't exist like it's a problem of. It's both a problem of like people misunderstanding, I guess, almost how, um, I don't know, like language works almost, and then also a misunderstanding, though, ultimately of, you know, this. Con- I don't know. It's one of those weird things where I think this is partly why. Ancient aliens theories are so popular and why um mm, even yes. there's that idea out there that the what is it like a, a whole uh, century yes, 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 didn't yes, exist yes, yes. or something? Right? Oh god help us. Like it's the For same. It's the same thing where
1: Vertez <laughs> is like what? oh god, no. Yeah, no, no, no. The whole oh, idea
2: geez. that like a king um basically got rid <gasps> of a whole century was like we're now it's like year two hundred or whatever. Because they wanted to be on, like, a special anniversary or something. They wanted to rule. Um, that that's
1: how you rule. But. Um, but it's, to me, it's just, it's crazy because I think it's harder for us to understand these things now because you have so many idioms. You have so much reference and sort of this contextualization in many different forms that can identify blue, right? Because it's like if you, as a 21st century Westerner, think of blue, you can contextualize it in a multitude of different ways through a multitude of different means. So that is a different to your point, a different mindset, a different time than someone who doesn't have that same that same prerogative
2: right and we're 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 also I, almost this is and this is kind of a point that always gets brought up with like classics or philosophy or whatever. We are also a we're also at a point in time or we have been since maybe the enlightenment or the renaissance. We're also at a point in time where people are wealthy enough and well off enough and society is developed enough that people can spend time worrying about questions like this. Right.
1: Exactly.
2: That, yes. bef- you know, before um, really literature, literature as such didn't really exist Um, philosophy as such didn't really exist, right? I mean, we have these areas where they happen, right? Um, But in some ways it kind of, I mean, you know, at least in Western thought, it all kind of gets washed away by the Middle Ages, right?
1: One story, it was a verbal story, right? So they probably, again, had the same amount of descriptive abilities, but their frame of reference would be foreign to us. Right, right. Just like us being able to have all these different contexts of one different color would be foreign to them. Yeah. It would just be a different set of, a different verbal set of cues that we would not have any idea about. It's it's fa- Which is kind of fascinating. Well,
2: it's, ama- it's amazing to me. I bet if we went through, like, I bet we would, I bet we could go through really and look with a fine-tooth comb and find out that the same kind of logic that was used for this could be used to prove that, you know the Ancient people didn't have, I don't know, strawberries or, um, I mean, it strawberries didn't. actually. You're <laughs>
1: gonna tell me they didn't have jello shots, pretty well, Yeah, soon, I, guess, dude. I was actually gonna and say, like, gonna fruit, fruit's, fruit's a hard
2: one because it's like the fruit that we think of today is not at all what fruit was like even a hundred years ago, right? So, uh, you know, like bananas and stuff, but you know,
1: it depends if you're on Hawaii. Right. If you are in a in a tropical area, the bananas even now are so much different than the bananas you'd pick up at Safeway.
2: Well, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, like, I don't know. I bet we could pick out something and be able to go back and be like, well, I thought I always thought that they had this back then. And then look, and there's just no reference to that thing. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I wonder how many references there are for belts in the Odyssey belts. Ooh. You know what I mean? In Homer's Odyssey, like belts, like literally like the like the kind of belt that holds up your pants. Right?
1: Well, you would have some sort of like, because it would be the same sort of thing that would hold a weapon, though.
2: In that's some a ways, holster. Right? But that's not pants. That's not a belt for pants. Wait,
1: a belt would maybe have the same form and function at that point.
2: Yeah, okay. An indigo is blue, Marie. It, God. <laughs> whatever. It's blue. In Greek shill over here for Marie. Big, big belt, pan Marie. Damn it. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying I like the strawberry metaphor.
2: You don't know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like I bet I, know, I bet we can go exactly back and pick exactly. something weird, like an esoteric thing, and go back and, and look and see, you know, where was this described anywhere? You know? And it's just it's it's a I don't know. I think it's an interesting question, so, but
1: eh. Is this what we're doing tomorrow?
2: <laughs> got a sick day coming up. <laughs> control elf belts control f belts in the odyssey that i'm doing belts, on my belts, digital, belts, d- belts, belts. digital yeah,
0: belts 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 no nope. does a string count as belts <laughs> i don't know th- see no it's just a string but if what if the string is acting as a belt no because it no yeah. how do you define belts it holds a how do you define blue <laughs> now we have to think about belts oh god we're all the
2: way around again you know, have you guys, this oh. is neither here nor there. Have you guys seen the, uh, have you guys seen that thing online where it's some guys like I was waiting in, you know, waiting in the dentist office and then he just starts chanting teeth. Oh God. No. Right. And then, and then the lady behind the counter starts, you know, it's like teeth, 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 teeth. And she starts like banging and going teeth, teeth, teeth. Oh, I find that so funny. <laughs> like it.
1: No, but this is again, this is why, uh, I don't go to the dentist. No, I'm <laughs> teasing. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen that. No, it's I
2: good. haven't either. It's funny. No. It's really funny.
1: Are you sure that, that that wasn't you? That wasn't me. That's online. I promise that
2: wasn't me. All right. Dear listeners. Thank you again for joining the mad scientist podcast. What a weird episode. This was a, Good episode. First of all,
1: happy birthday, Chris. Thank there was lots of jello you. shots. Plenty of virtual jello shots in which I hope you did many for your birthday. And Des, thank you so much for joining us and bringing this 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 rabbit hole of a question to our attention and also for all of the awesome work that you're doing with our fun with our fun um, t-shirts and super fun merch that we're going to be having soon. Yeah, and Patreon and Patreon love love gifts. People, it's awesome. It's awesome. Good stuff,
2: guys. All right. Oh,
1: group hug. Group hug. Okay, bye. bye.